0: Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Before we get into uh, the last sermon of the series, that Jesus is alive, I, I want to take you to a, uh, a brief moment of theology class. I know this is uh, not theology class necessarily, but I want to take us there because where I'm preaching from this morning is the number one book that every one of the church members, if they could ask a preacher to preach from, it would be from this book. And every one of us, pointing to myself, preachers want to steer clear as far away from this book as we possibly can. The book of Revelation. So, turn to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 3. I think verse 1 will be on the screen. And then I want us to, but before we get there, I need you to pull up Acts chapter 1. Because we're going to look at that too. So, Acts chapter 1. All right. Finger in Revelation chapter 1 and uh flip over to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read Acts chapter 1 off of the screen. <clears throat> and here's what I want you to see, and I want us to kind of be wrestling with over the next 20 or 57 minutes while I'm preaching. There's a difference as the books are being opened as to who not just the main character, the main character in every scripture, Genesis through Revelation is Jesus. Okay. But there is a difference in the audience that one is writing to. Luke wrote Acts. John wrote um, the book of Revelation. But there is a focus as to why they're writing. And so I want us to try to see that and hopefully help you and me as we read verses out of a book like the book of Revelation. So here's what Acts chapter 1 says. In the first book, the first book that Luke is referring to is Luke. Okay, So Luke wrote like Luke 1, and then Acts is like Luke 2, but it's to the same person, Theophilus. He says, I've dealt with you all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in Luke, he dealt with him in all of Jesus' life until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit To the apostles whom he had chosen, verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke is opening up this book. And as he opens up the book, he's telling them, Hey, here is the book. It is the Acts of the Apostles. That's the title of the book. And from that point forward, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through those 28 chapters of Acts, he's focusing on everything that the apostles did. Now, fast forward in your Bible over to Revelation chapter 1. And here is how John opens this book. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 1, he states this, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the world of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw." Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Total different audience that he's writing to. Total different purpose in the book that he wrote. You and I, when we flip over to Revelation, we want to know the things, more than likely, we want to know the things that are going to happen. What in the world is happening in Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14 when we see some trumpets, some seals, and all that junk happening? What is happening? You missed it. That is a vivid picture of prophecy that is to come. But the reason that he wrote the whole of the book is there in verse number one. The revelations of Jesus Christ. The whole reason he wrote the book is to portray who Jesus is. And if you and I get our focus and our attention off of him, you and I miss the reason that John wrote Revelation. So, flip over to Revelation chapter 19. We skipped 18 and a half chapters. Y'all are good students. And now, we begin our sermon. I was standing in line with the family at my favorite place in all the world. Disney. Exactly. Exactly. But I was standing there and we, we were all standing there and we were about to walk into a new ride that they had and that ride was soaring. And we were standing there with hundreds of others in the heat, soaking wet because the afternoon rain shower had just come through and it was now humid again. And we were waiting for the doors to open. And finally, when the doors opened, we were ushered into a segment in that building, and we were seated there on that ride, and it began. There was not a huge amount of anticipation other than some chatter outside the building, but once inside the building, it began. And when it began, the floor dropped out. The screen came on, and you felt... In a panoramic view, you felt as if you were flying across the heartland. You were riding front seat on a roller coaster. You were the driver of a NASCAR. You thought you were there. And it was all unfolding in front of you. That ride did not disappoint. If it would not have been a 57-minute wait, I would have ridden it again and again and again. There is some anticipation when you look at Revelation chapter 19. We're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. And I'm going to read for us verses 11 down through the end of the chapter. Verse 21. And as I read it, I need you to understand there's a ton of items that have already taken place. Namely, a Huge amount of seven years of great tribulation has taken place, and now Jesus has called his church home there in verses 6 through 10. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride has been presented in front of Jesus. They are celebrating that marriage. And then in chapter 19, verse 11... Something happens as John looks into the sky. He sees this. Then, after seeing all these other things, the tribulation, after seeing the saints in front of the throne, then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a a white horse The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges. In righteousness, he makes war. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he is to strike down the nations. He will rule them. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. The Almighty on his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both uh, small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. The beast was captured, and with it, the false prophet, who... "...in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two, the beast and his false prophet, they were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse." And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Father, as we look at this passage this morning. Father, may there be anticipation in us. Anticipation of a day that is coming quickly. anticipation of a day that will definitively show Jesus, you being king. Father, in this room today, there are those who are believers. There are those who are questioning. There are those who are skeptics. There are those who would state that they are unbelievers. Father, would you show yourself strong to every single one of us in this room? May truth triumph this morning. And may we see you for who you are, the King of all kings Jesus, and the Lord of all Lords alive and coming again. May you speak this morning, I pray, to our hearts, To our lives, to draw us close to you. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Two points this morning as we see this coming unfold. The first point is this about his coming, the the return is happening! Exclamation point, it is happening. The return of Jesus Christ is happening. Not just period, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, all capital letters, however you want to tweet it, text it, state it. It is happening, and it is happening soon. Kind of at the bookends of this letter, the letter of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see a similar statement that John makes. In Revelation chapter 19 states this, that his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. If you were to go back to the first chapter in the book, and you were to look at how he is described there, in verse number 12 and following it says this, then I turn to see the voice "...that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one, like the Son of Man, clothed." How is he clothed? He's clothed He's clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Listen, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace." His voice was like the roar of many waters and in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. A very similar picture of Jesus in chapter one and now here in chapter 19. And also in chapter one, just a few verses before I read where I started reading, it states this, behold, he is coming. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth, they will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. You're like, Brian, I thought that his coming was going to be like a thief in the night. It is. I thought that his coming was going to be like two people were in the, in the field, both of them working side by side and then immediately one was left there and another was gone. It is, but his coming, his second coming, is pretty much in two different phases. One is he's coming for his bride, and then a second, as is written of here, he is coming with his bride. He comes for his bride before he comes with his bride. How much time is in between? How do you see the vivid pictures of Revelation's chapter eleven? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 unfold. Some say that there's seven years in between them. Some say that there's three and a half years. Some say it's right after each other. Spend some time studying. And then spend some more. And maybe even, yeah, go ahead and spend some more. We'll let that be debated. But it does come in two distinct Ways His second coming is that he is in the sky, he gathers his church, they are raptured. Those that believe in Christ, they are raptured up to meet him. And then here, as we see it in these verses, he steps foot on the ground. And you're like, how can everybody see it? Six point something billion people. Seven point something billion people. How many people have their own video camera? Billions upon billions. How fast does it take something that happens on a different continent to reach your eyes? Not very fast these days. When this happens, everyone will see him. But Who's everyone? Read those verses once again. Everyone will see Him. And the those that pierced Him, those that pierced Him will wail. All the tribes of the earth will wail. Everyone will be divided, those for him and those against him, those on his side and those opposing his side, and those that are opposing his side will see him past and present, and they will wail at the sight of the king. He's coming. He's coming in the clouds. It's happening. John is writing this, and as he is coming... In this closing letter, he makes this bold, emphatic point. He's not coming on a donkey's colt any longer. He did that the first time. He came as I mean, as he's going into Jerusalem that first time to be crucified. He's riding on the colt of a donkey. is picturing his humility and his servanthood. And now he is coming on a stallion, on a white horse, victorious, a picture of power and of might. He splits heaven open, rushes in the picture of majesty and might. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16 one more time. And as I read it, I want you to see the description of this Jesus. If you've been to church scores and scores and scores of times you have heard him being described as a baby you have heard him being described as the suffering servant possibly you have heard him being defined or described as the son of man or the son of god the lamb of god and yes you probably have even heard these verses how they are described multiple times as well but Let them sink in one more time this morning. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, and he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which is to strike down the nations, and he will rule them, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. How is he described? He's described as faithful and true. Have you ever been promised something by your parents? ever been promised something by somebody and they didn't come through on it? If that were the case, how did it make you feel when they didn't come through on their promise? It it made you question them. made you question their trust, the trust that you had in them. Here is one described here as faithful and true. Every promise He has ever made you. Every promise that has ever come out of his mouth has been done. Everyone. He's never let you down. He has met you at every point of your journey, the way that you needed him to in the moments and the time that you needed him to to provide for you and me. He is faithful and true. You and I live in a day where It is screamed, rightly, rightly, numerous ways and numerous times. It is screamed, social injustice. Do you see how he's described? Those next, that, those next words, that next phrase, in righteousness. Not just in fury, not just in, in the way that you and I want him to, but in righteousness he judges. There is no injustice in the way that he judges. I was listening to a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and just this little point stuck out. The, the preacher, Danny Aiken, was preaching, and... Um, And as he was preaching at uh, Southeastern Seminary, he looked out in the audience and he said, hey, some of you, I know, you haven't been to church. He was talking to the family members of the graduating students. He said, you haven't been to church in 20 years because the last time you went, you were hurt. And I'm sorry for that. But when Jesus shows up, here's what he said, when Jesus shows up, he will not hurt you. He judges in righteousness. He he doesn't bully his way. No, he says, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I've done for you, sir. Here's what I've done for you, ma'am. Would you come and love me for who I am and what I have done? He judges in righteousness. He also makes war in righteousness. It is a righteous war that he is leading against the enemy, against the beast, the false prophet, against Satan. His eyes are like a flame of fire and they are looking through you and me even now. You can't hide. I can't hide my thoughts from him you can't hide your thoughts from him you cannot hide your actions you cannot hide your words he sees everything yet in seeing everything riverbend in seeing friday night at uh, 957 and in seeing tuesday afternoon at 3.48 and how you responded to a coworker, how you responded to the boss in your mind, not out loud, in, in your mind, how you responded to your spouse at 9.57 Friday night or 8.58 this morning. In the action that you did when you thought you were alone this week, he saw it. But here is the amazing fact of him seeing it. He still loves you. He died for you. He took your place on the cross. I love what it states there in verse 13. It is a reminder to him, not that he would forget, but it's also a reminder for us. The start of verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped In blood. I don't know how many commentaries you have to read. I read a number of them and they were pretty much equal as I read them about whose blood that was on the road. Picture of the enemy's blood that he is about to slay. I tend to lean to the other side a picture of his blood that He spilt and shed for you and for me. Just a reminder of what He did for His bride. A reminder of what He did for you on the cross, taking your place, taking my place, because of the love with which He loved us. And a name by which He is called is the Lagos, the Word of God. And all the armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. They were following him on white horses. And we see one weapon that he has. Ten plus years ago, I stood looking over a valley where this is going to take place. Stood looking down at this huge valley, the valley, the valley of Armageddon, where the battle of Armageddon will take place, where the blood will rise to the neck of the horses. And it will all take place by the one. As I was thinking about this this week, as that sharp sword coming out of his mouth, I thought of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 states that Jesus is the creator of all things. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18 state that Jesus created all things and in him all things are held together. The one who created everything, the one who is keeping everything together is the one who is going to speak and death will occur. For the host of the armies of this world, they will be slain. Blood will be spilt by the word of Jesus. It says the whole host of heaven is behind him. We're not going to fight. He's going to speak and the battle is going to be over. It speaks in Revelation chapter 18 and 19 that this beast and this false prophet and this Satan, the enemy, are going to bring all of their weapons of war there on the valley of Armageddon. And Jesus is going to speak and they will be obliterated. So, Brian, what... What do you want us to understand from this first point that this return is happening? Sir, don't be lulled to sleep. Wake up and smell the coffee, so to speak. The signs are all over the place to grab your attention, to see that he is coming back and he is coming back soon. Not only do we see that he is emphatically coming back, but one also is shown that this return, this return is going to be a return in victory and in conquest. He is coming, and He is coming. It means that He is coming in victory. Where do you see that? If you look back at those phrases that describe Him, define Him, two of them jump out that I, want to, I didn't talk about. The first was that on His head are many diadems. In Scripture, there are two different terms for crown. There is the Stephanos crown, the victor's crown, and then there is this term here. The term here is diadems. It's the crown of royalty. It's regal. It has numerous jewels in this crown. It's the crown of a monarch that has already taken the throne, one that would be worn to show how great that monarch is. And this monarch, Jesus, has a crown that has many diadems on it. How many? Many. Not just one. Not just a couple. Not, not the crowns like the, the, the jewels of the queen or the king of England. No, no. Many diadem. The highest, the most glorious. The most majestic royal monarch is wearing a crown. And then from his mouth comes this sharp sword. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, speaking of the word of God and his name here is the word of God. And then there's this phrase that says he's got a name that nobody, no one knows but himself. Brian, what's that name? Nobody knows it but himself. Is it the Word of God? No. Is it King of kings and Lord of lords, that name that is written on His thigh and on His rope? No. It's a name that nobody knows but Him. And it is a glorious name. He's coming in victory. He's coming in conquest. And I know... For some of us today. You're like Brian. I get it. He's coming. But, but. He may be coming six months from now. And if you look at my bank account. The finances won't even get me to six months from now. He may be coming six years from now. But. But. When I look at what's going on in this world, whether it's politics up in Washington or politics across the world, we live in a divided political world that is selling you and selling me views on the moment, on a moment by moment basis. You and I are inundated, whether it's on a Twitter feed, on a five second blurb in on the internet or on a television screen. You and I are screamed at over and over and over again to make sure that you and I are on the right side of history, quote, end quote, on this topic or on that topic. And the noise is deafening. The noise is deafening. Makes you, makes me want to, uh, to move out to the woods of Idaho away from everything but then I might be labeled a Unabomber, so let's don't do that. So what do we do? How, how, how can you and I live with the responsibilities of the day that we are in? All the while, understanding and standing firm on the events that are unfolding. It is easy, sir. River Bend, it is easy for us to say we believe this and compartmentalize it in this side of our brain and go about life. As if, yes, we believe it, and yes, it is going to happen, but I have to deal with this work project. And I have to deal with this for the last four days of school. And I have to deal with this so that bread can be on the table and clothes can be washed. It's easy for it to remain compartmentalized until you come into a room like this periodically and Scripture is opened to a passage like Revelation chapter 19. But let me close it this way. For the believers in the room, how do we deal with it? I wrote down a couple of statements for us. Look for his coming. In the first century, Paul wrote to a group of believers in a town called Thessalonica. And he said, Hey, he hadn't come yet. You you haven't missed it. And for 1900 years plus, we still haven't missed it. But look for his coming. And also, live for his coming. Students, live for His coming as you finish up school and as you start summer break. Parents, adults, live for His coming as you go to the workplace, as you come home from the workplace. Live victorious. Live glorious. Live in might because you are His. But also for the unbeliever, the skeptic, or those who are questioning how should you live? Understand this, that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is coming. Not just a king. Not, not, not a lowercase l lord. No. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, is coming. And when you see Him... Sir, ma'am, you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. He desires to save you, unbeliever. He desires to save you, skeptic. He desires to save you, questioner. He desires to save you, and He has done everything necessary for your salvation. Sir, ma'am, you must humble yourselves. See your need of salvation. Place your trust your life in His hands and repent of your sins and be saved for at that moment when He comes. If you haven't done it, you will be separated from Him forever and ever and ever. And I don't say that to scare you. It's not me. It's Him. He has done everything that He could possibly do for you to know Him. Everything that you need to know about Him, He's done. Will you trust Him? When you see Him, church, He will be more glorious than the vivid pictures that John wrote of, that Paul wrote of, Luke spoke of, Peter saw and spoke of. He will be more glorious. He will be a victor. And conquering king may you live that way today knowing that he's coming heavenly father thank you for today father thank you for uh, a passage like revelation 19 it is a victory passage god may we stand in that may we live there God, I love the the song that has uh, become popular of singing in that victory. It's it's nothing that we sing of. Nothing that that has weight or merit is anything in and of ourselves. Father, it is all of you. Jesus, it's everything that you have done. And that should direct my life and our lives because of who you are, our King our Lord so God as we come this morning we stand and we're going to sing of you of your name of your worth Father I pray that in this time of response it would be more than us verbalizing something with our vocal cords it would be our lives turning back to you our creator our God, our King. So would you move? I ask it in Christ's name. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live sin